0: Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and
1: stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. from Verizon and we spoke about his experience in working in defense and how his career evolved into the private sector. Nathan and I spoke about socks, source and outsource. plus a few things to think about to implement into your sock. Hey Nathan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. We like to start our podcast off with talking about yourself and your journey. So talk to me a little bit more about where you started and what you're doing now.
0: Um, you know, I grew up on computers, my father you know, bought me a, a Vic-20, a Commodore Vic-20 computer and I had a lot of basic computers in the 80s and then through the early 90s I had Apples and IBM compatible computers and I just was content to just sort of nerd out uh, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to a point, you know, 18, I needed to decide what I wanted to do with my life, I didn't really have much of an idea or I, I knew that I really enjoyed IT. Um, my father sort of compelled me you know join the army you know do it for a few years and you know that'll give you a little bit of you know pocket money and you can decide what you want to do after you get out of the army Mm -hmm. um 20 years later (laughs) i was i was was still in the army and i was you know thoroughly enjoying myself and 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 in all that time i i did actually um uh Role as a as an IT person in the army, uh, initially as a as a um, as a storeman and a bit of a pseudo uh, IT guy in the big logistical battalion that I was in, uh, and then I became a full-time IT person in the Royal Australian Signals Corps where um, I was deployed, you know, in various you know theatres of war on many exercises and and in very interesting and varied places, mm-hmm. um, and I did actually start to get into security um, very early in that in that career. And uh, I got very interested in hacking in the early 2000s. Um, throughout the um, throughout my progression as a soldier, I got uh, you know heavily involved in you know the certification and accreditation of networks, which is very uh, focused on you know controls and prevention and hardening of of operating systems and environments and the protection of information. So um, I did a lot of GRC throughout the sort of the, the sort of the middle part of my career. Uh, Towards the end, um, I was fortunate enough to get a posting to uh, the organisation that that was called the Australian Defence Force Cyber Incident Response Team, uh, where we got to, you know, monitor and defend against, um, you know, uh, mostly web and email based uh, threats uh, to the defence environment. And in those two years, um, I got to handle a lot of, you know, very interesting incidents. Uh, I learned an absolute heck of a lot, and it was at that point that I decided that you know at some point I'm going to get out of the military, maybe soon, maybe a bit later. Uh, It was only about three years later, um, but that I was definitely going to do cybersecurity as a career uh, when I left the Defence Force. And then uh, after that, I got my first cert as a manager working for the Telstra Defence Engagement Project uh, for Defence, and then uh, a few years later, I uh, accepted an offer and joined Verizon, where I am now.
1: Whoa. Okay. That's uh, – yeah, that is definitely an extensive period of time of working in the Army. Was your – just out of curiosity, was your dad also in the Army as well?
0: Yeah, he was. In fact, um, he retired from the Army about 18 months before I did, and we both retired. Right. At this, we, we both sort of resigned at the same rank. So.
1: Wow. That's 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 quite incredible. That's, yeah. uh, that's a pretty cool story as well. And when you said before that you knew you were going to jump into cybersecurity, what sort of led you to – to thinking this is really what I want to do? Was there something that attracted you really into it? Was it the hacking side of things or was it just you knew it was a growing area and it was in demand at that particular time?
0: Um, Well, throughout my career, I kind of, you know, deep dived on a few different things at different times. So, you know, at one stage I was, you know, very Cisco and networking oriented,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, and then, um, you know, Windows Active Directory came out and for a time I was very heavily invested in that virtualization came along and I was very invested in that for a time but and th- and I was excited by them all but not as excited as I was when I finally got to do you know cybersecurity and and more specifically incident response um, mm-hmm. that's what that's what really sort of that was the bug that really bit me and um, and so these days if, if you know my Peers in my industry, um, you know, I, I tell them, you know, I, I'm blue to the core, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm am an enterprise defender. The hacking, you know, I've done a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't call myself a, you know, an overtly competent hacker, but I've done enough to uh, to, to sort of understand the difficulties and then what uh, what informs what I need to know as a as an enterprise defender, you know. 100%. So so yeah, I'm blue to the core now. Um, I love mm-hmm. enterprise defense, and and uh, yeah, that's, that's that's what I'm currently doing for Verizon.
1: On that note. I know you presented recently at the New Orleans SANS Sock Summit. Tell me what what happened and what went down. What did we all miss?
0: Um, the, the the SANS security operations or, or Sock Summit, you know, is, is broadly focused on, you know, presentations and content and exchange around, you know, the development of of security operation centers. And um, for for this year's summit, there was a, there was a lot of focus on, you know, models that can you know, um, aid in learning, Um, you know, there's a lot of work being done by practitioners and research to help better understand and apply the lessons that we've learned about security operations. Um, There was um, some discussion around analyst fatigue, Um, And, of course, there's always the usual, you know, talking about our adversaries and their uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures. Um, My particular presentation was focused on um, use case concept development. So thinking about what use cases we want and then, you know, how are we going to identify what the information requirements are for those use cases? What's the engineering liability And then making decisions as to whether or not we do that or we move on to something else based on the the availability and feasibility of doing the use case development so you know that was um it was a little bit in depth but i didn't get a lot of time Mm -hmm. Um, the best uh, thing is that nobody's going to really miss out on it especially if they're in canberra because i'll be delivering that presentation again at a sans community night i think in september and i'm just working out those details with sans now
1: okay all right, well, we'll get, get us across the details and we'll drop it in the show notes below so people can check that out. Talk That's to me sure. about analyst fatigue. What do you mean by that?
0: Um, so, analyst fatigue is, you know, it, it comes down to a couple of different factors. It's, you know, how work is being presented to them and then how much, of, how much work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's the level of analytics that they're expected to do? Are they going to be doing very basic probabilistic? analytics or are they going to be doing something a bit more thorough and leaning right down into sort of determinative uh, type analytics so are they are they doing the analysis all the way to the point where they've got a root cause analysis and you know complete understanding as to the incident which will then inform the response you know so there are varying factors that contribute to analyst fatigue but the common mm-hmm. one is just you know too many alerts you know so uh, that that's that's certainly a sock that has a trouble in, in the processes that support the, the development of the CMs and the presentation of work, um, which is an indicator of, you know, where, where that sock is in its maturity.
1: Okay, that, that makes a lot more sense now that you've uh, identified that those two areas of, of concern. Let's talk about socks now in the more specifics on how all of this world, uh, what it looks like. Talk me through your experience in, experience in developing socks from the ground up. What's involved in this process? And I say this because you're well aware that in recent years there's been a lot more little socks popping up, whether that's within an internal organisation, but also MSSP's managing that for clients as well. So I'm really keen to understand what your experience is.
0: Yeah, well, the I think what a, what a sock is can vary you know, very distinctly between two different organizations and, you know, some of the factors that go into deciding, you know, what a SOC is going to look like, you know, whether or not it's insourced, outsourced, you know, there's, um, they're less of a a concern than, you know, things like the model and workforce structure of the SOC, you know, the, mm-hmm. the scale and size of the enterprise that needs to be defended, you know, is there going to be a single team that does, End-to-end incident handling, or two teams—one focused on analysis and the other focused on response. You know, what's what's the analytical effort? Um, you know, is it, is it going to be? Is the analysis going to be deterministic or probabilistic? Is it going to be based on expected volumes? What's the access to information going to be in order to enrich investigations? Is it going to be 24/7 or business hours? Is it going to be? You know, how much engineering is in there to support the ongoing detection development and the, the sort of the continual service improvement? you know, and what are the other enablers and impactors, you know, cyber threat intelligence, uh, what's the IT service management landscape look like in that enterprise? Um, What's the expected stakeholder engagement, Mm -hmm. um, interfacing with the rest of IT operations, reporting, and of course costs are are always a factor and impact many of these decisions around, you know, how you you wanna model your SOC.
1: Mm -hmm. So let's, so you know you spoke before about splitting the teams up potentially into response and then analysis a CIO says, okay, cool, we're going to start developing a SOC. What should be the initial first questions that they should be looking to, to start this development process?
0: I guess what's, what are their risks? What risks are we trying Mm -hmm. to mitigate? You know, so if, if, uh, I mean, most organisations that I've worked with will have a, you know, quite a thorough, you know, risk matrix. Um, And particularly from my experience in defence, they have a you know, a risk management plan that's that's a requirement of every accredited network, and the focus traditionally in risk, uh, you know, risk management plans is to have mm-hmm. controls that, you know, mitigate expected risk.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but what a what a sock can do is add extra treatment options to those risks.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: so uh, if if it was me, <laughs> you know, I'd be asking, you know, what what services or what um, treatments can a SOC provide me to further reduce the risks that I have for my organisation? I think that would be probably the first question I'd want to ask.
1: Okay and just from also your experience breaking the two teams up is that sort of would you say that's a preferred method or I guess that's also dependent on the size of the organisation and the size of the SOC but what would be your go-to in terms of how that would look like in terms of the team structure?
0: Um, I've there was a time when I would have preferred just a single team end Mm -hmm. to end, but I think that that has trouble scaling to extremely large enterprises. And there are different, you know, skills and training requirements for analysis and conducting the response actions. Um, So I think that uh, end to end uh, I've worked in, Two socks where we did end to end, and currently with Verizon, we have separate resources for the analysis, and then another resource for the for the response. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there are advantages to splitting it. Um, you can focus more of your trade craft and training, and you know uh, what's required to bring those analysts who have to do the incident handling to the point of determination. You can focus certain types of training on that part of the incident response process. And then there are the incident responders or the the response team, you know, their their focus will be on you know engagement with IT operations and you know uh, being that you know that that. That middle ground between the the analysis and or the analysts and their determination and IT operations and what IT operations need to do um, in in a very quick fashion uh, to carry out responses. So again, different set of skills, mm-hmm. different in, different engagement to the enterprise, um, and having a you know two different teams allows a SOC to scale you know to to a larger size if it needs to depending on you know how much information and how much um, monitoring that they need to do with the environment.
1: Okay. That definitely, that adds a lot more clarity around that question. And I know before you spoke about insource and outsourced, so let's jump, jump into that. From your experience, what do you believe the benefits are of insourced and outsourced socks?
0: I, I hate to say it, but it depends, <laughs> you know, because it, it comes down to the multitude of different ways that, you know, both an insourced or an outsourced are integrated into the, the organisation and into the, you know, the, the um, IT operations. Um, But, you know, there are distinct differences that, you know, there's obviously going to be a contract there. Um, And depending on the service provider and the customer, that the contract can, it might be a source of frustration if there are sort of quite constrained, you know, service terms in that contract. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it, it could be a hurdle, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a hurdle. Um, and I don't, I don't want to sort of toot my own horn or Verizon's own horn, but you know what I've found with uh, Verizon since joining the company 18 months ago is that you know they, they generally have you know uh, an approach, especially for the advanced sock product. Um, as, as I run the advanced sock for APAC, you know they definitely have a view to establish a partnership, you know, rather than um, you know a, a traditional organized sort of an uh, organization and supplier relationship. Um, and the ASOC is not the only resource that Verizon provides uh, in terms of establishing a security service for a customer. We can provide other resources to help stitch it all together to to make it work, you know. So um, I think it really comes down to how, how well that relationship works between the SOC and the organization at large, whether it's insourced or outsourced. Um, I've seen challenges on, on insourced SOCs that you wouldn't think would be expected for an insourced SOC. Um, I've, I've, I've been in the situation where an in-source SOC has had, um, you know, we've had authorization to do quite, you know, large um, response actions such as shutting down the internet for the entire organization. Um, okay. And we had conditions that were, would allow us to do that, that, that would authorize us to just walk across the floor to our gateway team and say, shut it down. Um, but the same team, we weren't able to just delete an email from someone's inbox. We had to go and you know raise a ticket and get support and authorization for that to happen, and just go through the normal IT service management process. So mm-hmm. you know in in teams can have their challenges um, as as can outsource teams. So um, yeah, it's 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 quite it's quite interesting. I don't think there's uh, there's probably some common threads there, um, but yeah, I, th- I think it sort of comes down to the uh, each each organisation, supplier, and SOC.
1: Can you drill down a little bit more on some of the challenges regarding an outsourced SOC? Our
0: challenge, I guess our challenges are about keeping that communication going, okay. making sure that everybody's sort of dancing along to the beat of the same drum, really. Um, and in, in the advanced SOC for APAC, uh, we're set up to be able to provide support to more than just one customer. You know, so our, our at the moment we've got one large enterprise customer that keeps us, you know, quite relatively busy. Uh, in the future, we're going to have you know multiple customers, and so our challenges are going to be how do we, you know, fairly apportion our time in support of all of our customers, um, and those are things we're thinking about right now. Um, as a as a sock manager for uh, an, a, a SOC that's going to provide enterprise-grade uh, monitoring and detection for multiple customers. Sort of pushes me into a little bit of a, a more of a strategic position where I need to start mm-hmm. to think about, you know, and relying on my senior um, analysts to be able to, you know, conduct operations while I make sure that we're continually improving uh, both on our processes uh, and getting ready to be able to support other customers as well, and, and making sure that we're executing absolutely everything in the contracts that we have, um, regardless of how many customers we're supporting. So, mm-hmm. um, so multi-homed socks would be the distinct. Uh, interesting aspect of what we're doing um, that obviously an in-source sock is not going to have that same challenge.
1: Let's talk about more of the in-sourcing socks. Now, do you believe people are building their own socks to enhance their street cred? Uh, there's, like I said, there's been a lot more of them popping up in recent years, but the capability they have developed is still quite not there in terms of a technical point of view. What's your opinion on that?
0: I think that, uh, you know, as an industry, I think we're still learning, uh, particularly in Australia. Um, you know, I felt that in the past we've been very focused on, you know, prevention as a panacea, um, and less on other risk mitigation or risk treatments. You know, such as the things that a SOC and a CERT team can do and provide to an organisation. So, um, the other aspect of it is that. You know, one of the other speakers that um, I spend time with when I was at the uh, SOC Summit um, was, a, was a fellow named Chris Sanders, and, and he he delivers training um, through his own um, you know training business uh, called Applied Network Defense, um, and he, he's been recently speaking about you know the issues that we have in the industry and that you know information security is in a growing state of cognitive crisis, so where we we have we have plentiful knowledge. Mm-hmm. But the selection and application of that knowledge is, is challenging in many places. Um, I, I think that, you know, we're, I think people are, are still trying to catch up. Um, you know, I think the technology's there. Um, I think that there's that there should be uh, better opportunities for a SOC to inform decisions around the architecture. Um, mm-hmm. But, you yeah, I know, think, I think we're still... I think if it's the bottom line, and I think we're just still learning and we need to uh, uh, find ways to take all that knowledge that's being generated and, and figure a way of applying it in a meaningful way that enables our continual improvement.
1: Now that's that's a really interesting response, which leads me to my next question about executives. What should executives be looking for in terms of reporting? Now, I've got a reporting background myself, so I'm definitely keen to hear your opinion on this, and there's obviously a lot of information being gathered, as you mentioned before, about the analyst fatigue. But what do you believe uh, some what do you believe is missing in terms of the mark due to the information overload?
0: Yeah, well, it, it's somewhat related, isn't it? There's plenty of information, you know, mm-hmm. what exactly do we need to select um, in order to address certain information requirements? So um, I haven't seen a lot of broad consistency um, between what executives above a SOC want um, and because they, those organisations will, will change their information requirements depending on you know, what their view is of, of a security service. Um, there are some common themes. So tell us about incidents, incident metrics, what are the critical and targeted attacks, what tell us about X vulnerability, but where some organizations and, and executives that are responsible f- for reporting to the to the board on um, the effectiveness of their security program, some will be focused on what what is just the return on investment, you know, how how, how we, what's the cost? Mm-hmm. And and is that cost justified? And and others are struggling to extract the value from all of that information that you mentioned. So, you know, there's there is a lot of information. What is it exactly that we need to know from all of this monitoring and detection that tells us that again, and it's sort of eventually it'll 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 climb its way up to are we getting a return on our investment? And these things change over time as as the as we continue to push through this cognitive crisis, the requirements are going to refine and they're going to change. And the people that are asking for this information or setting the information requirements, will, they'll bring their own lack of or greater amount of knowledge and experience with them every time they go to inform what those information requirements are that they that they ask of us.
1: It's about telling a story because I know in my experience of working in a large financial institution, that was my whole role. And we, by demonstrating the correct reporting in ways that made sense to executives, that they could see, hey, we're actually going to need more money in this particular area as we can see it's trending down this month. Why is that? And so that actually deriving insights off it or else it's sort of just numbers that people don't really, they probably don't really care about at the end of the day. Like, okay, cool. Thanks to the report security people. What does this actually mean? So I think there actually has to be more of a communications piece wrapped around that report that actually makes sense for people to actually want to look at it twice and potentially put money against it.
0: I absolutely agree. I think narrative is, is absolutely critical in taking that data that, that we're generating, picking the right thing, and then putting a narrative over the top that it, that tries to explain it. I think telling a story is, is probably one of the best ways to... There's a place for metrics, there's a place mm-hmm. for numbers and graphs and line diagrams and all that sort of stuff. But I think a narrative should come with all of that.
1: Do you, When you said before that the industry is still learning, do you think that uh, people who are gathering this information still not quite sure what they should re- be reporting on? Do you still think there's an area of improvement there or do you think they've absolutely nailed it?
0: Yeah, I, I think that those who set the requirements for the reporting um, – in setting those requirements, there should be a two-way conversation between the SOC manager and mm-hmm. what other other stakeholders, other uh, stakeholders, including IT operations. I mean, they we are a, a component of IT operations, and and so there should be a, a discussion and and continual reviews around what those information requirements are. And mm-hmm. don't don't hold an expectation that you're going to get it perfect the first time. I mean, as I said, we're we're evolving, we're learning, um, and and this uh, cognitive crisis that we're in, will will should drive uh, a need to do those constant reviews and and asking ourselves questions and and making sure that 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 information has value at the various levels that that information needs to travel up.
1: Where do you believe the evolution of the SOC will be in terms of the changes and the direction?
0: Um, Well, I think we're still trying to learn to walk on dry land. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, it would be nice to see, again, more continual refinement of of, um, standards that uh, can inform socks and their processes mm-hmm. you know uh, I would like to see more focus on what what's the continual improvement processes that 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 drive detection development in a sock I'd like to see some more of that out there that um, there's certainly a lot of research and there's a lot of information being developed about it and I've got my own models that I use to try to make sense and, and try to track how well detection uh, detection development is is progressing and um, there's, we, we've got other issues around trying to defeat the lack of visibility. I'm, I'm the security practitioner that will tell people, I want everything in the SIEMs, And some people get a bit concerned about that. Um, and I acknowledge that cost is a problem. And vendors, they, they set a, a pretty high bar in terms of cost for, for an organization or a large enterprise who wants to try to onboard everything into a SIEMs. Mm-hmm. That can be a very costly proposition.
1: Um, of course. And of Proposition. Yeah, logs.
0: yeah, so so logs and logs, um, and this is another problem is that, you know, logs are one thing that you you want to put in your CMs. There's a lot of um, information that you want to put in there that's, you know, organisational specific stuff that's not being fed in real time. You want to put things in there such as your IP address ranges, the geography of your environment. Um, you want to put information in there about the people who have privileged access um, what are their working hours, where do they work, what, uh, um, change management. Put all the change management information in the CMs because that can help you distinguish the use of privileged um, on a normal basis versus an abnormal basis. So there's a lot of other information that should be put into the CMs and trying to defeat that visibility and trying to improve correlation relies on, on as much information as you can feed into it and as much information about the organisation that you can hold in the CMs. And the other thing we've got happening uh, in the industry right now is uh, SOAR platforms are coming. So um, um, security orchestration, um, automation, and response platforms are starting to come along, and and they are not um, a replacement for SIEMs, but they'll certainly um, help improve our efficiency. Um, and every time we solve a problem, there's a new problem, and the new problem that the SOARS are going um, uh, <laughs> to, you know, introduce to us is the is the need to, to consider increasing our engineering FTE. Um, So having engineering is going to be necessary for a saw that's going to be heavily reliant on integrating via API. So Mm -hmm. we're going to need to have engineers there constantly watching and constantly monitoring and constantly developing our CMs and our saws uh, when we have them both.
1: You respond when you say when we solve one problem, there's another one. Yeah. This is the way it is, unfortunately. But top five things that people should do to improve their saw.
0: Okay. um,
1: Can only be five, though.
0: Only five. <laughs> well, I could write five and then I could write, you know, one A, one B, one C. Yeah, okay, but, got you. Know, you. Okay. But, but certainly, you know, number one for me is detection development, good engineering in our socks. Detection development is what enables sock to continually improve. Um, the, the socks that atrophy and become irrelevant are those that. Just think incident response, and they, they onboard everything in their first few months, and then they just they just let it go. That detection development is is critical for the ongoing evolution of the SOC and the ongoing improvement of uh, the presentation of work to analysts, um, which you know which leads me to analysts. So number two on my list would be look after your analysts, D- deliver them good leadership, and and make sure that you involve them in the development of the SOC. Um, analyst fatigue can be helped by a great many things, including Involving them in the development of the SOC, but also um, just really delivering that good leadership that they need, and making sure that they feel like they're 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 a part of a very important function in in the IT operations in an organisation. Mm-hmm. So looking after them, looking after their welfare, and particularly if you've got shift workers, I've I've found that um, looking after the 24/7 uh, shift team to be very challenging. Um, alert fatigue can set in a lot sooner. Uh, and you need to be there for them so it's 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 really important to look after your analysts uh, number three would be exercising your teams uh, and processes and disaster recovery and business continuity um, i've, I've I've had uh, the the fortune of be of working in a sock that had a had its own pen tester, so I was so I started exercising my team. It was also a great way of testing detection, uh, but it's also a great way of testing teams. So rather than just using pen testers for the exclusive purpose of penetrating something, it's it's a great way to actually get them to exercise the incident responders and and the detection. And so a little bit of purple teaming is is a fantastic idea. Number four would be keep learning. You know, don't fool yourself into thinking that you know enough. Um, so again, it comes back down to that, that cognitive crisis. Keep keep trying to learn, keep looking at models and make sure that you're applying information in a meaningful way that will continue to improve the SOC. And number five, uh, SOC managers, analysts, regardless of the organization that you're in, get together and have a drink and talk about things and support each other. Um, I know that, you know, competitive advantage can make that feel like, an uncomfortable process, or sorry, an uncomfortable prospect. But um, we need a network of support while we're trudging our way through this cognitive um, uh, process, and and that can still respect competitive boundaries. So get together. Get there are some really great professional organisations that are out there, such as ASA, um, ACSC, and. Uh, you know various other um, sorry uh, ACS um, and, and various other organizations. So you know get together and have a drink and talk about things and, and respect those competitive boundaries, but try to help each other out and, be, and, and support each other. Those are my five things.
1: <laughs> awesome. Nailed it. I think those those are really, really good. I think that's very comprehensive in how you talked through them as well. So, Nathan, I've had an absolute pleasure of you coming on our show today. Where can people reach out to you? Where can they find you?
0: Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably where I spend most of my time exchanging and, and, and talking about things. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm a bit of a lurker there. I, I tend to just keep an eye on the, those people who are teaching me things. Um, yeah. But occasionally, I'll tweet at uh, Geek Nathan. That's uh, G-E-E-K-N-A-T-H-N. So, um, yeah, so I'm in those two platforms for uh, information security.
1: Thank you so much.
0: No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.